Hey there, we're those sci-fi guys, and this is that those sci-fi guys show. Just two working dudes, way different lives, different jobs, but a whole lot of love for science fiction and the fun that comes with. We are your hosts, and he's P. U. McKay, and he forgot what his name is. No, I'm P.S. McKay. I was just trying to think of something off the cuff, but that didn't happen. Are so. you wearing short sleeves? Of course I am. Then you, you have no cuffs. The one it's... Away, you figure it out. Oh, God damn it! You're not wrong. <laughs> I'm a caveman, and apparently I'm not wrong. He can't say physically. It hurts him to say, you are right. <laughs> you are correct, sir. <laughs> He's P.S. McKay, and he cannot say, you are right. You are, you, you are in, you are in the, the correct column, sir. Ladies and gentlemen, it is physically hurting him to say those words. <laughs> I am not opposed. Again, see, deflection. <laughs> He's actually using more syllables just to get away with it. <laughs> you are so inefficient, Mac. You you are absolutely correct. <laughs> so anyway, how you doing, DT? <laughs> this will be the first Mother's Day I think I've spent in New England in like 20 years. Dang, really? That long? 19, maybe. 19? Wow. Okay. So you've had to try to send out a, uh, a Mother's Day card to your mother. And and your missus. And hopefully they understood when it didn't get there on time. Amazon! <laughs> Let me put it to you this way. You can go ahead and buy something in Christmas. You know, it's like, mm, Amazon gift card. And there Send you go. This day and boom sauce. Yeah, that's true. I've, I've already sent gifts to my spouse. There will be a Amazon gift card showing up. Why? Because she's a big reader. Mm-hmm. And she does like them. Wait a minute. Never has a problem. Does she She, use Amazon for its original purpose in book sales? Yes, she uses that and Optimus Prime, and she's very happy with it. Whoa. I used to use Optimus Prime, but then he uh, he, uh, became Optimus Prime. Judaism. So (laughs) nice reference. Optimus Primus. Optimus Prime, you are Jewish. Yeah, <laughs> that was a month in Family Guy's early days of irreverent pop culture. Uh, from the so great. band episode "When You Wish Upon a Weinstein." Oh my gosh, when there was nothing at, wrong with that episode at all. You have Alex Borstein and Ben Stein in there. Yeah, no, but yeah. Fox, which we've always discussed, is not exactly knowing what it can do with anything. Yeah, and they were. They're very, they would have gold fall in their pockets and then they would just like figure out how to put holes into it and just have it fall out. They'd I mean, they, that they gold for magic beans. Yeah, they would. You're absolutely right. <laughs> Let me say this 
Yes, my spouse does use Amazon. By the way, I or just said it, but it, you didn't notice. Slap. <laughs> You're absolutely right. I just said it. You need to get some editing, don't you? No, I don't. Slap. Do you know how much editing it took to edit our 50th episode? Oh, my God. <laughs> I have no idea. It was an hour and a half. It was an hour and a half of editing that one episode after I spent editing three episodes in 45 minutes. Well, let me put it to you this way. It was not my stuff that was falling apart. No. And by the way, in the recording, we could hear you just fine. And we could hear me just fine. I just couldn't hear you during the actual recording. Yes. And something that probably should have been discussed. You need to slap yourself. Mm, I need a reason first. I re-listened to our uh, music podcast. And there were times you would play the music so long we could barely hear me. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah. That's a darn shame. It's kind of like having a one-way conversation, though. Oh, yeah, you know, you brought up a good point. Definitely. Don't you agree? Yeah. Have I not have I not said that I, I detest the idea of playing music through the microphones ever since hearing those episodes? Uh, yes. Yes, you have. <laughs> so. Anyway, mothers and whatnot. Huh? What? Yes. Mother's Day is this coming weekend. And we'll be airing on said Mother's Day, so. It's one of those special episodes where it actually is on time and timely. Yay, yay, so you say. Yay, yay, so I say. But this will be the next episode I edit. Anyway, so Uh my thought was... Well, actually, I didn't even think to ask you. I know... uh, I I don't think that this topic's going to take us very long, because we did talk a lot about it. Do you have any plans for Mother's Day? I do. What do you plan on doing? Going and spending Mother's Day with my mother, grandmother, sister. And my dad will probably be there as well. Oh, your grandmother is still in the picture. I love that. Yep. That's She's nice. still kicking. <laughs> she is. I, we went to visit her when my wife and kid were here. It was awesome. Went to dinner. <laughs> I, I did manage to convince her that I can drive the mile oh. and a half to the pizza place. <laughs> When I went to, when I stayed with her in in November on my move out here, she's like, "No, I've got it. It's dark. <laughs> no, I've got it. I drive this all the time, and she does. Gonna be ninety seven in a couple of months." I was just gonna say she's got to be in her at least mid nineties. Oh my god! Oh yeah! Oh my god! Yeah. Well, that's fun. That's fun. That's a fun that that's a fun day you're gonna have. <laughs> well, she my grandmother's gonna be here all weekend, which is nice. Oh, cool. Is she gonna stay with you? No, there's no place for her. No bed right now. Oh, that's right. There would be no bed. You've got plenty of room, but no right. no accommodation. She's going to be <laughs> staying with my folks, and at some point they will bring her by to see the house. Yeah. That'd be nice. Uh very good. Very yeah, good. Yeah, of course. 
So uh, I we don't have very much planned. Um, the in-laws are out of the country right now, and they're planning on getting back later that night. COVID might change that. <laughs> we'll see. Um, but we used to go on brunches and stuff uh, in the morning. And uh, I think what we're going to do now is just a, a, a home brunch where I wake up at my normal time and allow my wife to sleep until her normal time, which is about 10, 30, 11 o'clock. So <laughs> honestly, on the weekends, she has to recharge. And that's her normal recharge time. Um, yep, that's I'll, I'll about make a, right. Make a nice brunch there and with waffles and stuff. And, you know, just have a nice, nice time with the family. So is that not what Mother's Day is about? Having them relax? It is. So it very much is. Which brings us to our topic, I think. And I brought this up a couple weeks ago, which I thought was a neat idea. Fathers in all of science fiction. Ah, no, we wait until Father's Day for that one. (laughs) Um, Mothers in science fiction. And there's a corollary to that. I do not feel that there is a good mother in sci-fi. A good mother-son or mother-daughter relationship. I think there might be one. But it's strained. (laughs) <laughs> Deanna and Luxana Troy. Absolutely. <laughs> you cannot you cannot argue with the fact that that Loxana loves her daughter. Loxana is obsessed with controlling her daughter's life. <clears throat> that being she said, loves her. She loves her. She does. That is motivated I, by true and absolute unconditional love. Right. And no matter how much her daughter Deanna rebuffs her. Which is all the time. Ignores her calls, which is all the time. Loxana has to resort to different, let's say, creative ways to get back into her life. <laughs> well, I think the two best episodes that have Luoxana in them, mm-hmm. from Luoxana's perspective. Do they say Luoxana or is it Loxana? Because I always say Loxana. Luoxana. Lowaxana? Yes. Okay. So, obviously, played by the, basically, uh, mother of Star Trek, Lowaxana Troy, is played by the late, great Major Barrett, Robin Barry. But... Interestingly enough, mm-hmm. two of her characters are portrayed in the pilot of Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Interesting. I'm not giving anything away. No, no. I'm okay with that. (laughs) I just found that interesting. As it tends to be, she did many things aboard the next generation as Luxana Troy, quite exasperating for both her daughter and of course Jean-Luc Picard now we can we can say that a lot of Deanna's frustrations with her mother were her mothering or smothering if you will a new term Mm, that came about in the last decade but 
we can also say that she also feared for her Deanna feared for her career a little bit with how much Loxana irritated Picard. I don't think so. I never felt that Picard ever was going to take No. It and out we know on, we knew yeah. Picard would never take that out on Deanna. We knew that, right? Yes. But of course she would feel what burdened upon the crew because of that issue. Cause that's who she is. She's an empath. She feels other people's feelings and she wants to alleviate that problem. Sometimes. And then sometimes she gets <laughs> sick and turns the entire station of deep space nine upside down. No, I'm talking about Deanna. I mean, Loxana is a full on telepath, oh, yes. but Deanna definitely is always, trying, <laughs> is always trying to help people, but she's always trying to fix a problem. So she can be a handful, and in most times she's comic relief, a bit of an a burden to a degree. But there are two episodes we actually see Loxana Troy in a different light. And that is half a life where she falls in love with Charles Emerson Winchester III from MASH. Who's, that was uh, when he turned 60, right? Right. Yeah. And... We only wish there was more time. Right. And you actually get to see her take a very well thought out, albeit a little selfish, but, you know, she's fallen in love with the guy. But you see a side of her that you don't really see normally. You know... Where and then she goes off to stay with him until he dies, basically. You did see you did see where she was thinking about more than herself at that point. Right. Like I mean, there was there was a there was I mean, all, almost all actions have some self motivation, but she was she completely disagreed with that culture's idea of when you turn sixty, that's when you commit hurry curry, basically. You die in order yes. to not burden your children, in order to not burden society, which fascinating thought, by the way, when well, you think about it, it, it's not dissimilar to some ancient cultures we've had. Right. But. Right. But to her, it was barbaric because a life could be lived so much far beyond that, which we all know, too. Right. Um, Even now, really? Yeah. Yeah, and she lost the battle. And she lost the battle. And she was willing to have the humility to be able to accede. Is is that the proper word? Accede her position and say, okay, but I care for you and I want to be there when you are gone. Mm -hmm. And she did that. And she promised Captain Picard she was not going to cause a problem. Which we never saw a serious locks on at that point. Until no. that point. No. And then the next most serious one, of course, was Dark oh, Page. Dark Page. That was where we saw Kirsten Dunst. I think that was one of her screen debuts, basically. Uh, I think this was after Interview for a, with a Vampire, but still oh, very it would early. have been, yeah. But Shoot. Still, she was, what, 12, maybe? Maybe. She was about the same. I think she's about the same age we are. So, a little younger than we are. Not by much. Not by much. It's okay. 
But she, <laughs> you get to see the depth of her grief so bad that she actually locks away the memory of a pre-exist of an elder daughter. Yeah, Kestra. Kestra, which is of course the name that Riker and Troy gave to their daughter, yep. Picard. Yep. Which, in some ways, you can see is a bit of a a homage, I would say, to a very strong episode from Waxana Troy, a very powerful performance from Major Barrett. Oh, absolutely. She had acting chops. And she, I mean, honestly, I don't think she got the acting dues that she deserved. To be honest with you. No. I mean, Chapel, they didn't really give her much to work with. Number one was basically Spock without being Spock. Yeah. And then, I mean, her most recognizable roles are, of course, Star Trek. So I've the only other thing I've ever seen her in. Babylon 5? Is the Babylon 5 episode, which was good. Never saw it. She played a telepathic uh, widow of the Centauri Emperor. And was she bald? Yeah. With a ponytail? Uh-huh. Nice. You got to so admit, that, was just, going. That, that might be the biggest, even more than Walter Koenig, that's probably the biggest get. <laughs> to get the creator of Star Trek's widow to come on. I know. Yeah. That is true. To to give legitimacy to the show. Yeah. Yeah. And Star Trek fans still didn't accept Babylon 5. I love Babylon 5. And well, I we all we all know that. We've talked about that. And we I mean, and you love Star Wars. I do. And you know what? I like the Big Bang Theory, but Sheldon Cooper can kiss my ass for his <laughs> hatred of Babylon 5. Oh, did he hate Babylon 5? He did. Why I have would no he, idea why. Why would he? Uh, you know, I would think that he would love Babylon Five and Star Trek more than he would love Star Wars, because Star Wars is nothing but fantasy, whereas Star Trek and Star Wars are actually thinking man's stories, thinking person's stories. Yes, but you can actually see a lot of the archetypal undertones of the original Star Wars, plus. You'll see some comparisons to some great literature and groundbreaking filmmaking as well. But still, you're right. It would it it would seem to attract more that he would be more con- more interested in some of the more gritty and grounded things in say Babylon Five than he would be in the mysticism and midichlorines. But <laughs> I've told you. I, I have told you my theory about the difference between Star Wars fans and Star Trek fans, the ones that don't overlap. I haven't told you this? I don't believe so. Okay, well, I'm throwing it out there because who gives a hell? Um, trigger warning, folks. Go ahead. It, it is a trigger warning. In my opinion, Star Trek fans are smarter than Star Wars fans. Ooh. They are, though. They are. They are. I mean, you you talk about the the battle between light and dark in Star Wars with space wizards and and laser swords. 
Okay, but, so it, it, it's space Lord of the Rings. What do you want? <laughs> but with he Star Trek. He was inspired by Arthurian legend. What do you want? You, you not only talk about humanistic philosophy, but you talk about you talk about morality. You talk about technological um, logistics versus, you know, humanistic emotion. There is a degree of morality in star wars no there's all morality in star wars which and the deeper you dive into such things as the clone wars and even rebels you'll see that far more laid out even the mandalorian had some pretty good you know allegories and such right but but let's let's and if you ever want star uh star wars to get referential there's always going to be at some point a star wars reference to like the magnificent seven or aka the seven samurai (laughs) they did it in the mandalorian they did it in clone wars worked out for them a little better than mandalorian so what you're saying is i need to watch the seven samurai i need to watch the seven samurai i grew up watching the magnificent seven well, and you can watch the Magnificent Seven as like a alternative, but I'd, I I would want to watch the original, which I'm sure is available somewhere. But well, I'm sure Kurosawa is one of the most widely regarded filmmakers in film history. Do you ever see any of his films? Only what George Lucas did. <laughs> uh, I saw Rashomon in college, which uh, it was infuriating infuriating because there was no i mean it 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 was life it it perfectly captured life in that there was no omnipotent view of what happened Mm. it was only told by the viewers and you had four different recounts maybe five of what happened and all of them were different and it was infuriating because there was no way to tell, and you didn't feel like justice was had. Oh yeah. Well, just oh, oh. You would watch it. You'd feel the same way. I guarantee you. Quick side note: While I very, I enjoyed the remake of the Magnificent Seven starring Denzel Washington and Chris Pratt. There, I said it. I enjoyed it. Is it not popular? It's 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 Quentin Tarantino. No, it wasn't. Oh, it wasn't? Oh, no. never mind. Oh, it's Hateful Eight. I'm thinking of the Hateful Eight. Never mind. <laughs> well, you know, there's a lot of people, for, you know, or purists, so to speak. Uh, I, yeah. I enjoyed it. It's hard. I can't remember seeing anything with Denzel in that I didn't like, so. Crimson Tide, man. That he is a talked about film. Star Trek. That's how he helped. That's how he convinced the guy to fix the radio. I'm not even bringing it up because of that, but Crimson Tide is a perfect film. It is, it is a, a great perfect film. film. You have two outstanding leads oh, going toe to toe, and no fisticuffs. No, no fisticuffs. It is it is tete a tete. Right, and it is also a pretty fantastic moral quandary that they have in the middle of it. It was an excellent movie. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, oh, man. I need to rewatch it. Shoot. I might be rewatching that tonight. 
And could you tell me that you would not love to see Denzel be in a Star Trek movie? Oh my God! Uh, you don't was... you don't think uh, you could get him into a scene with uh, Jordy LaForge and Guinan? <laughs> Honestly, uh, you, you, DT, I, that moment it him would break open my heart. George? It would break open my heart with so much joy. It would leap out onto the screen and splatter it with all of my blood because I would be so happy. Having such, I'm just saying. I mean, that would be such an amazing moment to see Denzel in something like that. Oh man! And he is a Star Trek fan. He is a Star Trek fan. He also. (laughs) Never mind. (laughs) But uh, yeah, and uh, shoot, what was the last part of uh? No, I'm not going to do that. All right, so we got to get back on track here. Mother, Mother's Day here. So my thought is, in sci-fi, mothers are not very well represented. And we just went through probably the best mother-daughter right. representation. Let, let, let me give you a good mother. I will go ahead and throw out a few names for you. And okay. you're not going to talk about Kestra and Marina Sirtis or Deanna Troy. Well... Actually, she seems to be a pretty good mother. We don't get much of it, but Troy and Riker actually seem like pretty good parents. They do. I'm not arguing. Just not not a lot. There's not. We just a lot don't know a lot. Shown. But you see. So you're just going to go into it then? Okay, cool. <laughs> So, well, we, we, we talked a lot about Luwaxana, Troy, I guess. But you're right. With Luwaxana, there was definitely, and it was hard, it was sometimes hard to see, but there was a an extreme love of her daughter. Yeah. And when you think about it, she lost her her eldest daughter and probably the one man she ever truly loved. Mm-hmm. And not saying she didn't love Timison or some of these others, but I think her that soulmate one man, was that, Ian that, Troy. That one connection, yeah. Yes, I think her soulmate was Ian Troy. And one of the reasons why she looks so man-crazy is that it's kind of like Gibbs in NCIS. The love of his life was murdered, and he got married three times, including his Jerry Ryan's. <laughs> so Jerry Ryan was one of Gibbs' ex-wife, just so we know oh this. Boy. Oh uh, but he, he kept getting married to these people, and just no, nothing really worked. So you kind of see that, like she kept walks on a Troy. When you see the more you peel back the onion, she's a very flawed and very broken person in a lot of ways, which is why I think she latches on to Deanna so much because really she's all she has left. She needs to, yeah. So you have a woman who desperately loves her daughter and truly does want to see her happy but just has had so much trauma that she struggles to show it in a healthy way. <laughs> 
Am I wrong? No, I, I think you're, you're absolutely wrong. correct. Oh. <laughs> I think you're absolutely correct. <laughs> Staying in Star Trek, here's a few other decent mothers you see. Good, because I have Elena a list of what I Rogenko. think. Yes, okay. We see her twice, which is... Maybe least... three times? No, they talk about her. More, they do talk but... about her a lot. Mm-hmm. Okay. And he would talk about how his parents did everything they could to make him happy. That they to try to make him feel loved. And he knows that. Uh and Orf of course, is just such an asshole to him. She she is he is. I mean, he yeah. is an asshole to them. Like he treats them again. Okay, well, we understand let, let, that the rise of it's not okay. a whole lot different to a degree than how Deanna reacts to the smothering of Luoxana. It's right. Not, it's not so much an asshole. It's just Worf is really bad with emotions. Okay. You're not wrong. Say it. Say it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not so much that he's an asshole. He's not trying to deliberately be one. But you know how, particularly next generation Worf, had a stick so far up his ass, some, he'd have to file it down just to eat sometimes. He did honor his parents, and he treated them with respect. Mm-hmm. But I just it just felt weird seeing him rebuff their emotions. And we know, we understand that he always had to feel restrained among humans. Right. Understood. But... You could show some compassion, at least. Well, and his his mother even said, I think this might have been the episode where she brings Alexander back aboard the Enterprise. Yeah, because they can't handle him anymore. They're old. They're older, and she's like, we've already had to do raise a rambunctious young Klingon yeah. uh, who, who lost parents. Right. But... She loves, she's so proud of her son. Like when they come up for the Enterprise, the pride they see in his, their son. Everybody has parents that, you know, there's always people who have parents who are just. You know, I just realized. What? I just realized that he was raised by Russians, right? Yes. In Siberia, right? Or were they on he, a he colony? Kept, he kept, well, they've moved. They moved a few times. But remember in What what You Leave Behind, he kept trying to convince the O'Briens to live in Minks? Yes, that's right. Minks. Where is that? I actually think it might. <laughs> no, we don't maybe. know. I think we it don't might... know. We have to look it up. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's the capital of Belarus. Belarus, oh my Just god. Just remember, oh. it, was, it was Russia when was the show started. <laughs> when it ended, I mean, still. I mean, right now, Belarus is really a puppet state. I mean, that's where half the invasion force of Ukraine right. came from. Yes. So. However, all right, so well, my, my point my was, point is, was, okay, you bring up your point, I'm going to bring up a secondary point. We're talking about mothers, you know, treatment of their kids, right? That was kind of the point, like you were saying, how you were struggling to find 
good mothers in sci-fi or good re- good relationships with mothers there's in a sci-fi. difference there's a difference there is we can talk about both helena Rajenko was a good mother correct she did her best she tried to learn how to cook klingon food she did you are absolutely on target and they they did everything they could to to try to make Worf happy. And you can tell he appreciates it. He just has a hard time telling it, which is you see that in family. And, of course, they all need a little guide and love to kind of elbow it forward. She kind <laughs> of translates right. Worf a little. Family. That was such an important episode. It really was. There was I'll, nothing that happened. Like, I mean, it was just it was just so great to see. It was one of the best bottle episodes of The Next Generation, if not of Star Trek. And it is actually one of the few episodes that truly shows a follow-through and consequences to significant issues in Star Trek. Because Worf's story follows along with, basically, after Sins of the Father, where they're showing concern, like they're talking to a guy, and they're like showing concern about him after his discommendation, but they're like, but we really just... We don't understand what that means. We're trying. Mm-hmm. You get, of course, and you get the long-running crusher trying to figure out, you know, he gets a, a, a letter, you know, like a video letter from his dad kind of yep. thing. And then, of course, Picard's story. But that is a follow-on of several different plot lines. Not very, spe- not, not very regular for the next generation. So... Yeah. It's it's kind yeah. of the epilogue to Best of Both Worlds anyway. It, well, it is. I mean, it was supposed it literally to be follows right the next there. episode. There I don't know if it aired directly after, though. It did, yeah. It, it was, or it was supposed to. In syndication, it never aired directly after. Yeah. In syndication. It was, there was always one other episode that aired between Best of Both Worlds Part 2 and Fam. It well then it might have been you know uh, filming schedule or something they have that in that order maybe something like that but but syndication was always pretty faithful to the order you know what I mean yeah I know but that I I mean that that you see Worf's interaction with his parents he's trying but you can see the pride and the love they have in him Mm -hmm. and his mother shows up again to bring alexander in a later episode and she basically says wharf you know he needs his father Mm -hmm. and that lasts for a couple of seasons before he kicks alexander back to his parents on earth (laughs) and then he just shows up in the dominion war yeah and do you space nine where he's like 23 years old I mean, he's not, but he yeah. grew because Klingons grow faster. Yeah. Because we, we got to see him grow, what, to, to the age of 11 in four years? Yeah, that's Something like what that. it looks like. Yeah. So, but I guess my angle is, okay, we've got a good mom in her. What's her name again? Helena Rojenko. Helena Rojenko. The Roshenkos. Um, here's my side note. By the way, I think the parents were both Jewish, too. I think so, too. 
I think you're right. Which um, which is good because that means Jews are moving back into Russia, which there aren't any of there really now. <laughs> they are not right now, that's for sure. Oh, oh my excuse me. God. Uh, it's not something to be laughed at, to be honest, but no, it's not. Um which by the way, I'm pretty sure my Jewish ancestors are Russian forced out of Russia into Poland. I just feel all right. Uh, if we're gonna do this, I just feel very proud of the fact that the only other country with more Jews in it, actually, the country with the most Jews in it, is the United States. And I, I'm happy for that. I've got uh, you know my Jewish cousins cousins can grow up and uh, a healthy life and everything. But we're detracting from everything. That being said, in Long Russia, Mel Brooks. Long live Mel Brooks. Oh, my God. Did you really? Oh, Mel Brooks. I thought you were going to say Mel Gibson. <laughs> so in Russia, it is a sign of distrust when someone smiles. Did you know this? Did you know this? Like, if you smile, people will distrust you. Uh, uh, basically, a, a, a universal form of goodwill that immediately tells you, as a stranger, you cannot be trusted. And that is Russia as we know it, by the way, folks. Look, anyway... The but that tells you something about the culture that Worf grew up in. He didn't smile. His mother seemed to. She smiled to Worf because he was part of, he was part of her family. And they were also in a post-World War III environment. Mm -hmm. By the way... So. Did you think that was going to be a pull? Tell me that wasn't a good cut. That was a good cut. It was a deep cut, but it was a good one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Here's another one who generally was a decent mother, Keiko O'Brien. Okay, she was a really good one. I can't believe I didn't think about her. She was fantastic. She She's was involved with the kids. She was one of the few who you would actually see on a semi-regular basis. Yes. And she had multiple kids. Mm -hmm. And her kids loved her. That we saw. And she took it upon herself to become a school teacher. Uh, as, you know, a profession she never planned for in the first place. Out on the mm -hmm. frontier. Mm -hmm. And that's to be commended. That's that's. Irish and Japanese know-how right there. Well, let me put it to you this way. I'm pretty sure my my wife would have empathized with Keiko arriving at some of the places I had to drag her to. Oh, my God. <laughs> but there you are. You get an example of a basically a military spouse, someone mm -hmm. who was a professional in their given career and chose to follow their spouse to a military assignment yep. and raise a family. And yeah, did you know, did you have the the you know periodic headbutting with Miles over stuff kind of episode? Sure. But she loved her children very much. She was a, a very good mother from what you see on screen. I mean, Worf did deliver the baby, but still. <laughs> By the way, one of the funniest This isn't how this is supposed to happen I'm sorry <laughs> One of the best 
side bits in all of Deep Space Nine. It was when they announced that Keiko was going to have a baby, and Worf is like, "Went now." It's like, yeah. no, no, not that now. It's like, yeah. oh, I'm sorry to miss it. I'm going to be on Earth uh, visiting my parents. Yes. Well, the baby's not due for several months. Uh, yes, yes, I have to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that Wait, was one that of those. Really happen? It was, yeah. <laughs> oh shit! What episode was that? Because I, I mean, I cannot tell you what episode. That is was. a great. That is well. I think we know. I, all right, we we can pin it down. But yeah. Um. Oh, that's a good callback. That's a good yeah. callback to that I episode. Think it, I think the, it was. Was in, it relics? No, no, no. Re, no, re, it was in disaster when he delivered Molly. Oh, it was disaster. Forth. But this was on Deep Space Nine. I think it was, you know, somewhere around in the middle of the fourth season. And yeah. That's when she's they're saying, oh, yeah, Mr. Mr. Worf here, <laughs> you know, uh, delivered Molly. And Worf has that deer in the headlights look that he gets sometimes mm-hmm. on Deep Space Nine, usually with Dax. But yeah, <laughs> the big wide eyed like. Mm. <laughs> so that's a mother you see, Keiko. Let me bring up one. Uh, sure. I brought her up before. Jordy's mother. Hmm. Yes. We get one episode, and there is definitely a strained relationship between Jordy and his parents. And this was this was like the 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 gist of what I thought that this episode was going to talk about. Our episode here, like why there aren't good parental relationships in sci-fi, but apparently there are. Pretty good ones, actually. So, and this well, is good. This is good that we're talking about, about this. I mean, all you need to do is point to Deep Space Nine to see some, well, one of the worst examples, a couple of the worst examples of fathers, as long as, along with some of the best examples of fathers in all of sci-fi. I know. I know. It, well, <clears throat> who's who's the worst example? Worf was pretty bad. Yeah, he was bad. The best example. Ducat was terrible. Ducat was the worst. All right, we can do that. We can also do, but that's for Father's Day, okay? We can't talk about Father's Day. <laughs> but Mother's Day. Oh, 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 Kira. Kira's mother. I knew you were going there. Ooh. Think about it's that one. It's a tough one, but she really did do anything for her family. Oh, God. I mean... All right, so that the episode, sheer, what year did that episode come out? It was like 97, 98? 98, like, yeah, 97, 98. It was like season oh, six, I think. God, I mean, first of all, you saw her father get cucked. Like, just, you know, and he's stuck with the children. And then you see Kira deal with her mother being courted by Ducat. And then eventually give in, and eventually have feelings for him, enjoying the relationship. Ducat is that he is a charming motherfucker. He is a charming mother effer. And then Kira is about to kill her. She's about to kill her. Well, when you find out that your mom is banging basically your sworn enemy. Oh my god! It's a rough deal. I mean, how would you think about that? But Kira basically, I think, kind of learned, uh, learned by the end of the episode that just how much her mother was willing to do for her family, at least at first anyway. 
Well, she learned at the end too when she when when Kira's mother was looking at her children and her husband and crying hysterically at the the computer port, and that's what made her stop the the bomb. I believe. Do you do you not remember that episode? It it was a tough episode. It's not one of my ones I go on rewatch usually. It's I definitely not one you want to watch again and again and again and again. It's it's horrible. It's rough. It's a good episode. It's just hard. It's just it's one of those episodes that you're glad you wrote you watched. You're you're better for watching it, but you just don't want to go through it again. Yeah. I would rather watch the Siege of AR five five eight, and that's as a combat veteran. It's just but that, that tells makes, you something. That well, tells that may, you something. That makes a lot of sense to me as well. And sometimes, but no knock on it. It is fascinating. The writing on that show, particularly the later in this the series, just it was so good. But yes. Kira, yes, had a very complicated relationship with her mother for different reasons. But she loved her father. Because her father was there as a kid. Yeah, her father was there. Remember, and she hated, and she, I, I think she thought her mother died, was killed, and then she found out she was a a, a concubine of of Ducats, and that's when she wanted to kill her when she went back in time. I don't know how she got there. It's an episode, it an like you said, it had to have been an orb, the orb of time, or the orb of wisdom, or something that could do that. The orb of Ducat. Ugh, I just ugh, such a horrible watch. But that was a mom a who good watch, did, but tough. Yeah, and and her mom, her mom did what she had to do for from the mother's perspective. She did just about everything she could, short of jumping on a bomb. Yeah, to take care of her family. So. Yep, and it worked out at a big sacrifice. And you just don't want to, you don't want to have to deal with that. No, it's hard. It's very hard. So, um, put Kira Maru, I think is her name, uh, up there as a mother who was definitely willing to do anything for her family. Yep. All right, and, so we can talk about her. I'm sorry, I cut you off. There's a lot of dead moms in Star Trek. <laughs> so, you have Riker, dead mom. Orf, dead birth mom. Dead birth mom. Uh, you meet Data's pseudo mom. Who? Yes. For the most part, there's some conflicts there. You know, the memories, conflict of possibly encouraging soon to leave Data behind, and the guilt. Everybody's like, Data, don't be mad. He's like. Bitch, I couldn't be mad if I tried. Right. <clears throat> but you do have that, Juliana. <clears throat> We've already talked Deanna, who has shown twice, actually, to be a good mother. Remember, in the atrocious episode, The Child. The Child. Oh, my God. Season two, it was such a strange episode. But you can see that she was a dirty Ten years mother. difference in, in, in script writing, by the way. But you could see that she was doting on her son, mm-hmm. very loving and protective. 
Deanna Troy, good mom. We've seen two episodes of examples of being a good mom. Not like I felt it was ever very in doubt, because in some ways she acted like a strong maternal figure for Alexander, too. No, very true. She was. She absolutely was. She was a surrogate for him. Yep. For uh, Kayla. Yes. Do you remember? I think it was the episode where Worf is like, basically trying to say that Deanna was like a, a big influence in Alexander's life. And he's like, oh, I see you like big sister. And then she goes, so does that make my mother like your mother? And he's like, I had not considered that. Mm. But it is worth the risk or something like that. <laughs> Wait, what the hell was that? When was that? It was one of those earlier episodes uh, right after Alexander came on board. It was just one of those scenes that just kind of sticks in your head. But Deanna was most definitely a surrogate for Alexander. Yeah, absolutely. Fistful of datas. Fistful of datas. You said datas. I did. I have no idea why, but fistful of datas, (laughs) man. You know why you said it. It was such a good good episode. (laughs) I found that episode. so ridiculous and hilarious. It was you just, like westerns. Oh, you like I westerns. I, I I am not a fan, so I found it tedious. I was not a fan as a child. I like westerns now. Dude, you rewatch it again. I rewatched it like last year or something. It's just a fun episode, especially when you get to watch how one how uncomfortable Warp is, and two <laughs> how enjoyable. Uh, it is to watch Brent Spiner chew scenery and just ham it up and all these Western cliches. Although, although him playing a Mexican, uh, that might not have problematic. Well. <laughs> a little problematic, especially in the date in the data like gold. Page. Oh my God! <laughs> I mean, what could they have done? And a serapi and a big fake mustache. I mean, oh. it is a little ridiculous. Brent but, Spiner is going to yeah. be canceled. I'm sure he's sitting here waiting. He's waiting. <laughs> doubtful. Doubtful. So. But needless to say, Troy, what do you say? In the good mother category? She's in the good mother category, yeah. Absolutely. Jordy's mom. Treated like crap by her son. Stands yeah. out. Like, he ignored her her message for three weeks before she disappeared. And then he went after her, did everything he could and couldn't find her ultimately. Like, but didn't they find her in the books? They did find out what happened. Okay. But basically they found survivors of her ship, but they did, but she had passed. But it allowed Jory to have more closure. All right. Well, I just didn't feel... I feel like he, he never talked about his parents. And then when we do see it, like he just never felt he treated his parents with any urgency. Well, I mean, obviously he was feeling insecure. I mean, his mother was the first ever female captain in Star Trek history. 
hold on. Mad Sinclair, the actress who played Jordy LaForge's mom, was the captain of the Saratoga in Star, Star Trek Four. Four. One of the ships that you know had the power sucked out of it. Uh, uh, Star, the first female Starfleet captain in Star Trek history. That was back in 1988. 86. 86. Well, they filmed it in 86, yeah. I know it came out in 86. You're absolutely right. I'm sorry. Five was 88. 88, yeah. But, yes, you have that. And, of course, his father was Broadway song and dance man Ben Vereen. So, That's true. I mean, I, mean, I guess if... You know, if he had to do it, he could show him all the Emmys he won for reading Rainbow, but still. Yeah. <laughs> when you think about it, it's actually quite a powerful family. Uh, but you're right. Jordy had some conflicts. There was definitely some, a little bit of, I don't know, heartburn when it comes to being a child of career Starfleet officers. You see that very much in Lower Decks with Mariner. Yep. You see Captain Freeman as having some struggles being the mother and captain. She's not a bad mom. No, she's not. And she's doing what she's supposed to do. When you're peeling back the onion, Carol Freeman is not a bad mom in Star Trek. Not at all. All right, before we go down that road, which is actually, let's do it. Let's go down that road because I've got a couple other roads that I want to I'm going to write them down real quick. But you go. Yes, and we definitely do have to dive into a couple of other franchises, at least briefly. I don't understand why. Because other there, there are some who bear mentioning. All right, so Mariner. And Freeman. In some ways, I think you can see that they might they might have more in common than they either one of them want to admit. Yes. There's also a fan theory that Freeman served on the Enterprise D, and that Mariner was one of the kids in the Enterprise classroom with Alexander. Oh shoot! Oh shoot! There's definitely some fan theories floating around about that, which might also explain the connection to Will Riker. It could. Actually, it could. (laughs) But you see them make attempts at times. And I know Mariner, you know, they're all trying to hide that Mariner's her daughter to try to prevent favoritism and such. But then you occasionally see them trying to work together and understand each other and she's always trying to get Mariner to act to her potential which in a lot of ways don't many parents try with their children yes not a bad that's where we are that's where we are that's where we are okay I got one that's outside of Star Trek yes Fry's grandmother. <laughs> You're a very terrible person. 
He did do the nasty and the pasty. Oh my god! <laughs> I told you that my son watched that episode, and at the very end, he looked at me. I knew what episode he was watching, and then he looks at me. He gives this horrified look, like what? And then he looks down, and he looks back up at me, and he looks down. He looks back up at me, looks down, and he just starts losing his ass, just laughing, like can't stop for 10 minutes. Like he just couldn't stop. My poor 11 year old son. <laughs> just understood temporal uh, 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 mechanics and, <laughs> and realized the paradox that was created. Good mother in sci fi. Taranga Munda. Who's that? Leela's mom. Oh. She gave her up. She did because she thought she'd have a better life since she was like the the least mutated mutant in history or something like that. Mm -hmm. And they, because she was, (laughs) she studied xenolinguistics at Brown University. Oh my God! <laughs> AKA Brown University because it's the the one in the toilet. That's the joke. The yeah, one that the is the joke. So it's the one. It's the one university that did not relocate. <laughs> so she she writes these little notes to to make it seem like she's an alien, and not a mutant, so she has a better life. And then you see, like in the montage, where they're like. Occasionally leaving small gifts or making sure she doesn't crawl downstairs. And oh, stuff like I know. That. I saw that. And then yeah. they try to hide the fact that they're her parents to protect her from being like deported down to the sewers and stuff like that. But Leela's parents and her mother definitely do everything in her power to make sure that Leela has a good life. Yep. At least until the time that she also hooks up with Zap Brannigan, which is cool. oh god. <laughs> well, I mean, you have but to give it. You have to give it to her. You have to give it to her. Zap she did. looked out for. Oh. I know where you were going. Stop it. <laughs> she looked out for her daughter. She did, and and for the best, and for the best uh, uh, welfare that she had. Mm-hmm. Gosh, I honestly thought that this was going to be a shitty mother episode. I really did, but we're finding some really good moms here. Here's going to be uh, an interesting one. When we jump the ship to Star Wars, are there good mothers out there? God, I mean, are well, there question, mothers? Do you think that Padme Amidala would have been a good mother? I think so. Yeah. Um, I mean, she had the resources to help with that, but I think she would have been a good mother because she she had a good philosophical standing behind her all along with a good practical... Aside from her taste in men, she generally seemed to be a pretty good person. Well, she loves younger men. Yes, absolutely. Who, who Who are obviously too immature to be able to handle a family... Because they, they let their hormones slash midichlorians get the best of them. And, you know, murder children on numerous occasions. Well, that's what hormones and midichlorians do. So. All right. Here's another one. I mean, hey, uh, before you go, before you go, 
Uh-huh. You've heard the theory that if we lock up every American male between the age of 14 and 42, we will have zero crime. I've been locked up. But you've heard this theory, right? Yeah, but I've been locked up. It's, of course, it's in a foreign country and they've given me guns, but, you know, same difference. I'm just saying. I'm just saying if we lock up every American male for between 14 and 42, there would crime would drop probably 99%. I don't know if I buy that. I think 99% is too high. 95? I think 94 and a half. I think there you be. go. All right. I, I can agree with that. I can agree with that. Look, we're, we're walking together on this one. So. so. All but, right. Um, Leia Organa. Yeah, she would have been a good mother. It kind of looks like for a time... She must have been a good mom. I mean, her Luke wasn't the best uncle, I guess. Actually, you know what? I got to... No, hold on, hold on, she hold on. She still believed in him until the day she died. Even after he blew her into space and murdered her ex-husband. Uh-huh. Leia Organa, I don't think probably was a good mother. I got to re- revise that. She didn't have a mother... The mother she she knew died early. No, she had the mother. She had Bail Organa's wife. Yeah, didn't didn't Bail Organa's wife die early? Never mentioned. Never mentioned. But that's why we probably know that she has slight memories of her face. Let's pretend. All right, let's pretend. The, The whole conversation with her and Luke is like, do you remember your real mother? And that's that gets a little murky once you once they uh, read. Did they the, say the that? They did. That was that entire scene in the at night in, in Endor <sighs> before he leaves. Maybe she just has some sort of better tele, you know, force connection with her mother. Well, that would be possible with the estrogen there. I'm just I'm throwing out possible scientific possibilities. Just saying, you know, they don't really say much about. Uh, I actually think that Bail Organa's wife was the actual. I think or Alderaan was like matriarchal in in canon. Like the wife was the actually the ruler of Alderaan because Bail was the senator. Yeah, I know it was an academic planet. Well, I mean, it's hard to tell, but you do know that she never gave up on Kylo. She never gave up on Ben Solo. No, I, but I have this impression of, of Leah Organa being a hard-edged woman, battle-hardened, and is just... Uh, the idea of a maternity is hard for her. You know, because because her mother died and but we don't know about her adopted mother. You're right. We don't. And that was where my thought process. Basically, was. the only thing we can say is that she did love her son no matter what. Yep. And literally her dying effort was to project. His father to him 
which incess in, in essentially starts bringing him back towards the light. Yeah, you're correct. That is that is a redemption. That's a redemption move. Mm-hmm. You're right. You're right. Was she the best mother? Well, we we don't know, but we do know that she did truly try continue to love her son no matter what and did everything she could up until giving her last bit of life force to try to return him to Ben Solo, basically. Right. Well, we're not ranking who would be the best mother. We're just talking about the mothers and stuff, which I thought, again, would be a a mother bitch fest. Like how, how terrible all the relationships are with their mothers, but <laughs> here's one. Shmi Skywalker. Dang. That's a mother who saw a chance literally made despite the fact that she was going to be stuck in slavery, literally did everything she could to make sure her son. Yeah. Wasn't going to be a slave anymore. Yep. You're correct. Her tacit acceptance of his pod racing notwithstanding. She willingly let her son go in hopes that she could give him a better life outside of slavery. Yep. That's a good mom. Mm-hmm. That's a good mom. That's a good mom. And and she eventually got released. And then never well This poor woman never really got what she deserved in life. No, that that's what I was trying to allude to, yeah. The closest thing she ever got to, I think, maybe peace was knowing the fact that Anakin was there with her at the end. He got to, he got to be with her, yeah. She that's didn't the die thing. alone there. He was there for her. And hopefully <laughs> she had no connection to the Force when he went apeshit and murdered an entire village of she probably didn't, because <laughs> we all know Palpatine created Anakin. So fucking Palpatine. No, we know, we know, but um, okay, I got another mother. I'm trying to think Moogie. how many other mothers are actually prominently shown in Star Wars. Moogie. Moogie is a very interesting case in Star Trek. She is a fantastic mother case, isn't she? She is. She was, and at she was the first Frankie times, female we ever met. No, she elderly. Was she was not. Oh, she was not. No, we talked about this. It's that Frankie female that in season two who oh who pretended to be Bar- a man. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You're right. You're right. You're right. But, but the first like. She's the only female Ferengi recurring character. Yes. Basically, what we really know about Ferengi females, we basically know from her. And she wears clothes in Rebellion. (laughs) And she is financial genius, right? And she, she, Quark in the Magnificent Ferengis, it's like, yeah, she's his financial advisor, basically helps him run the Ferengi alliance. Uh, she, She... Turned the Grand Nagus's fortune over twice, I think. Something like, like that. <laughs> she, she 
dotes on Rom, and she and Quark have a very contentious relationship. Mm -hmm. But despite the fact that he was basically discommendated or whatever the Ferengi want to call it, blacklisted, she still allows him to come home and stay with her, Mm -hmm. even though he drives her batshit crazy. He's like the, the prodigal son, the older son, right? They the argue all the time. Uplift to his father's word and everything. He is trying to be the alpha male. Well, he's trying to be the epitome of what a Ferengi man should be. Right. And that's why he and his mother butt heads. But what does he do? He even even though he's a Ferengi and trying to turn a profit, he does do everything he can to save his mother's life. Yep. That was. I what think episode that was, was that one? That was the magnificent Ferengi. That was the magnet. Okay, but the the then there was Ferengi that was when the Dominion songs. were involved, right? Yeah, but I think Ferengi love songs is where um, he goes to stay with her after he got blacklisted, and Brent's like, "I'll lift the blacklist if you <laughs> basically discredit your mom." And he's about to, because you know Quark, he's always about to just go there. Oh, yeah. Smile, and then that irritating bit of conscience will show up with Quark. <laughs> he can't, he can't blacklist his mom. And again, he doesn't, he's, she's not his favorite, you know, person in the slightest. But she's but his She's his she's moogie. She's his moogie. There we go. Interesting. This is a good that, episode. That w- Ishka brought a depth to the Ferengi that was very uh, rarely seen. Quark's mom, Ishka. Ishka. And she was the smartest Ferengi you see in the entire series. And most reasonable. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Later Nog is close. Later Nog is close. Nog learns. N- learns in the same style as Moogie does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, he, and, and but he knows where his strengths are. Like Ishka is like, I'm not cut out to be this bullshit epitome of Ferengi women. I'm good with money. Mm-hmm. He's even trying to tell Iggy Pop Vorta to have a <laughs> diversified portfolio. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Not a bad mother. Despite no, she's a, gr- she's a good mother. Despite I mean, her, her sons essentially, like, went away from her because that was what they had to do. But she's a good mother. She was a great mother. Think about it. I mean, all she wanted to do was provide for her kids. Think about that. God damn it. I, gosh darn it. It's a good. Oh, that's twice. The I, Magnificent I Ferengi was a great episode. Like when they finally meet, and they're doing the prep for the exchange. And Nog's like, hold on. How do we know that it, that is Ishka? And he brings out a knife and cuts her hand. She's like, ow, what was that for? He's like, see if you were changed. He's like, oh, well, let me. See that? And she starts smacking him on the head. <laughs> yeah. Mom's like, that's no way to see if he's a chaser. She's like, you're right. Give me the knife. <laughs> it's just, it gets out of control. 
The Magnificent Ferengi is literally, it's, if you're flipping channels and it's on, that's, that's, that's remote drop. That is a great episode because it is so damn funny. It is great world building when it comes to the Ferengi. Ferengi, yeah. You get to see a little bit of, you know, they... <laughs> the Vorta in that episode were actually pretty damn funny, too. It was a damn good episode, basically, from start to finish. Uh... I hate Ferengi. <laughs> <laughs> but Ishka, good Star Trek mom. You would think, you would think that the Ferengi would have been a bigger power. I mean, they obviously signed some kind of like non non aggression compact with, uh, so or some kind of trade agreement with the Dominion and whatnot. I but they have technology right on par with the Federation. Yeah, but they weren't and probably better because they just bought their technology too. But here's an interesting one from Deep Space Nine. Cisco's. I I was gonna wait for it. Profit mom. Oh no, bad mom. But in some ways, you see that there is some sort of lingering connection she wasn't a great mom no she was not but i mean the prophets weren't exactly great people no no they were not they were there to lead the seas for him for a destiny and to make sure that he fulfilled that and she did that but you know who was better mirror jennifer cisco That's a tough one because she basically mm-hmm. lured Jake into the mirror universe to get Cisco to come back. I know. How messed up is that? That's yeah. a that's a again, that's an episode that I found boring as hell. Right? As a kid? Yeah, because I I, I found the I found the mirror up the mirror episodes boring at that point because I felt it was overplayed. But no. looking at that oh. as an adult, <laughs> looking at that as an adult. How predatory is that? Yeah, and Cisco calls her out on it immediately. Oh yeah, yeah. It was As well done. The father he is. Which, by the way, when we do fathers, he's definitely right up there at the start. But I gotta, I gotta feel like that. There's gonna be a big dichotomy in the fathers thing because we're leaning. There's a lot of absentee right and bad dads. In I honestly thought there would be a lot of bad moms, but we've got very few. You get a lot of dead moms. Dead moms, but not dead a lot moms, of bad dads. That's that seems to be a lot in like <laughs> TV and movies. Dead mom, bad dad. Oh my gosh. So yeah. Mirror Jennifer Cisco. Yeah. Not a great mom. Lured Jake over to the mirror universe to get Cisco over there. So he could do something because he needed to facilitate the alliance with something or yep. or the, the, the resistance with something. He was trying to ha- get Cisco to help them basically fix the Defiant plans that they stole. The last oh, time. that's right. And they created the Defiant mirror. Yeah. yeah. So. I found that a little unrealistic. Man. <laughs> they didn't have a lot of resources to be able to put together something. Excuse me. 
That required a lot of R&D. I know. Meh. Hmm. So. When we look at there wasn't really many moms in Babylon 5, were there? Sheridan had a big relationship with his dad, and you see his dad a few times. They mentioned nothing nothing untoward. No, the doctor had a bad relationship with his dad, too. Yep. And his Um, dad was always telling him to call your mother and your sister. So obviously not a bad relationship with his mom. Oh, Ivanova's mother. You never see it. But she was the telepath. She had to take the... That's right. She refused to join the psychor, so she had to take the suppressing yep. uh, drugs and I think killed herself. Yeah, it affected her emotionally. And it affected Ivanova depression. And, well, yeah, and that affected Ivanova, which also ramped up her absolute hatred of the psychor. Yeah. Now that's good writing right there. And she admitted that her mother taught her enough to keep her out of her thoughts. Ooh. Which is why she was always worried when the cycle was around that they would see that she had some latent ability. Interesting. Yeah. You get a little bit of that as far as mom goes. We by the end of the series we know Delenn is pregnant, but you don't get to see the child at any point. Um, not really a lot of moms in in B five that I can recall. Well, we're coming up coming up on our last like five ten minutes here. Um, Battlestar. You know uh, what the the president. The president was a tragic mom because she was kind of a mom to everybody. She was a mom to everyone. Uh, oh God, I forgot her name. Laura Roslin. Thank you, President Roslin. But at the very in the very last episode, the, the last three episodes, we got to see her deal with the fact that she had a sister that was pregnant and another sister who was about to get married and her mother that was at that same like, you know, um, uh, shower party and then we see her get a call and all of them were killed in a car accident oh yeah and then we see her just like walk out in the streets and into a fountain like she just lost it all she takes her off her shoes and she's in her nightgown and she just gets into the, the fountain and just tries to wash off the sadness oh yeah you know and and God, I mean, like, so she had a great maternal relationship, not with just her mother, but with her sisters. And she was looking after them. And, you know, she had a great job in the government. And then no matter how powerful she was, she couldn't prevent losing them. Right. Before before the nuclear war, by the way. Right. And the only other mother you truly see is. I guess Callie. Yeah. Oh, Callie. Uh, And, oh, uh, Boomer. No, Athena. um, Athena. Athena had the kid. Oh, later. Yeah, later. She she gave birth to the girl. Boomer was the one who dies. 
Yeah. Athena is the other one who has the kid with Hilo, and that becomes a big deal because that was the one with the like, uh, the the um, mitochondria. Mitochondria. Mitochondria yes. leave. Yeah. She basically was the true uh, genetic mixture of human and skin bag Cylons, mm-hmm. the skin jobs. <laughs> Whatever they Which call. Which very creative, by the way. Yeah. Not sure um, how well founded in science it is, but yeah, the creative. only thing else you see is Callie, who is married to Tyrrell, and they have a kid. And then after she dies, it turns out that it wasn't actually Tyrrell's kid. His kid, yeah. Which also coincides with basically him learning that he's a Cylon, and it's a real fucked up thing. Oh God, There's, poor Tyrrell. Yeah. Uh, he just went through the ringer. Yeah. Which was pretty satisfying when you see him basically m- basically murder the other Cylon in the group yeah. at the very end when he finds out that he's the, she's the one who kills his wife. The, he, he uh, yeah, the female one. Porn. She was the one that, yeah, yeah. She, she, God, gosh, man, you, you and your recall. Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> but they have uh, this little family and then you have you know I mean there's like two kids in the entire show I know yeah uh, but you see the it, particularly when you realize when you realize one kid is like a hybrid and they're trying to hide her and protect her and all of this and the other one it's just babies are really important in Battlestar, because human race is like running out of time, so mm-hmm. it is in in a lot of ways. There was a great episode where you know the it's, it's it the abortion episode. Yeah, you're kind of it up. <laughs> kind of relevant right now, but like there's this young girl who. Got pregnant by accident. She's got nobody, like no family left. And like Rosalind basically has to decide whether or not to allow abortion. And she allows, basically allows this girl to have one, but then says, we can't have any more. Can't allow it. We need people to be able to reproduce. Yeah. And it's just, you know, in order to save the species. And it was a bit of a. That's a thinker, isn't it? It's a no-win scenario when you think no, about it. No, exactly. So. Which is what Ronald Moore does. He writes no-win scenarios, which are fantastic thinkers. Yeah. I got one more for you. Mm-hmm. Not a no-win scenario, but... Picard's mother. I knew we were going to have to come there. We had to. I mean, everything... You haven't finished the last episode of Picard, but everything... I'm not giving anything away... Well, everything you saw of his mother is relevant. Is it's everything you've seen is relevant of her. You're not, it's nothing's being given away. No, and she's a woman who has severe mental issues. Yeah, psychological issues. I, I would say, and I'm not. I'm not a doctor. But severe bipolar disorder, for some reason, that was not treated at all. Yeah, some sort of bipolar depression. 
but she used him as an anchor. Like, they did. who knows? I mean, they mentioned Robert or Robert. They said Robert, but they mentioned Robert, his older brother. Who was older in school, which was the excuse to not have him in the episodes. Right. Right. But but she used Jean-Luc as some kind of, you know, anchor and saying, you know, follow me, because if you're with me, I'm okay. Yeah. But uh, basically, I think what they kind of intimate was that Robert took after his father, Jean-Luc took after his mother, and she kind of became dependent on him she did absolutely and which guy hard was not the evil bastard that everybody kind of makes him out to be was it maurice yes but i like gaius better because it was gaius, played by gaius Bicard, i know i just realized what you said there um i know and obviously, this whole process of, of him thinking his father was beating his mother and abusing her is all based off of the idea that when he was a child, his Patrick Stewart's actual father beat the crap out of his mother. Mm-hmm. And the police would come and the police would say, well, madam, you he's obviously suffering from shell shock. Why would you irritate that? And then he learns... Because this is before PTSD, obviously. And then he, you know, and he learned to hate his father because of the beatings. And then he later learned, you know, as an adult, oh, PTSD is a real thing. And then he learned to realize that his father was suffering in a very different but like very he, real way. He did one of those, like, uh, like TV special, like, Where am I from kind of things. And he learned stuff about his father that he never knew about how his dad was like the lone survivor of a, of his unit or something like that. Right. He did. He, 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 when he learned all the horrible things his father went through in world war two, he at least was able to gain some measure of understanding. Maybe of course, obviously not acceptance of that kind of behavior, but I think it allowed him to maybe forgive his father uh he did he actually mentions that he he did lever a bench uh yeah at least a branch of forgiveness you know in his mind mm-hmm. and i think this episode obviously encapsulated episode nine by the way of picard season two yeah. where his father was trying to protect him from his mother who was mentally unhinged right and he was and thinking that his father you. was the bad guy the whole time Right. And of course, when you look at it, his mother was very much a danger to him. Oh, absolutely. And it's awful because she adored her son and they would do things together. And his father kind of had to be the stick in the mud and the, you sure you're doing okay? You seem better today, all this stuff. And of course, you know, it, it colors Jean-Luc's perception of his father because he was still very young when his mother died and it's very traumatic because he found the body yeah and his mother oh my god where she believe, after she was calling out to him right to help and I, him and i help believe her get out her heart was in the right place but her mind was broken yes yes so in concept no she was not a good mother 
but it wasn't for lack of, you know, loving her children. No. And love can always be misplaced. Right. Especially when you're dealing with somebody so young and when you're dealing with somebody so mentally fragile. Right. Love is there. It's got great intentions, but it can be misplaced. Mm Mm-hmm. We have... That that was definitely kind of the... I knew you were kind of leaving that as the piece de resistance, if we're going with French. (laughs) But I do think we need to run to a few honorable mentions before we wrap up. Please list them real quick. I mean... We've mentioned the few in Babylon 5 and Battlestar. We've talked about a couple in Star Wars. Fry's grandmother. Fry's grandmother. <laughs> we talked about Leela's mother. Uh, but when you think about it, and of course, when you're talking long form, you see more in Star Trek than you would see in Star Wars, per se. You do see the frog lady in Mandalorian who was doing pretty much everything possible to be able to bring her eggs to her mate so they could reproduce and propagate the species. You do see that in two episodes of The Mandalorian. Yep. And we got to laugh because Grogu kept eating them. And then you got to awe when he finally learned that he's helping the little baby. <laughs> yes. But yes. You, you see somebody who is extremely committed to their children. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you look at Star Wars, uh, when you look at Star Trek, I mean, you could l- run through all the series. You have Samantha Wildman on Voyager, mm-hmm. who finds out she's pregnant about partway through the first season with her husband who's stationed on Deep Space Nine. She ends up having giving birth in the Delta Quadrant, and her daughter, not only being raised by her, but also surrogately by the crew of, of the Voyager. This is true. This is true. Basically, you get a lot in a lot of storytelling. You get a lot of dead moms. Mm-hmm. Dead parents are most definitely a tragic story. <laughs> All you have to do is look at Batman. Well, uh, yes, dead absolutely. Parents. Superman, dead parents. And this is probably where where we probably want to talk about this in the Father's Day episodes because right. it's important too. Yeah. But you're absolutely correct. In the very first Captain America movie, you hear that his mom was a nurse in the TV ward, and you know his dad basically died in World War One, and you know his mom raises him until she dies. Mm-hmm. And you see, you know, just how badly he's shaken in the flashback scenes in Captain America Winter Soldier. You know, you have basically dead parents is an easy way to get motivation in, in, in fiction, isn't it? Iron Man with his mom. 
I don't you care. see you, you see during the barf mom. you see during the barf sequence his mom reaching out to him on the last day that he ever sees her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I don't care. He killed my mom. Yeah. My gosh. Oh. And uh, Robert Downey Jr. deserved every dollar of that millions just for that one line. Yeah. He said it perfectly. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't even see too many more. Mo- you get to see Star-Lord's mom a little. Oh, Star-Lord but- was Star-Lord's mom was the entire story, by the way. You barely saw her, but she was the motivation of the entire Guardians franchise. Mm-hmm. Basically, she, she personified uh, uh, Brandy, the song Brandy. <laughs> um, and she did. She was that song. That was her song. Yeah. You know, uh, and she was a good mom. And oh man, he was willing to give up being a god to vent to avenge her. You know. Yeah, and honestly, it's the power it, of the mom, which is interesting. Well, I mean, in these stories. if it wasn't his despair at losing his mother that causes him to run out of the hospital and get caught by the Ravagers, it's true. It's true. Which will be a good dichotomy when we talk about fathers for the Father's Day episode, because <laughs> yeah. I've got a different idea of how the fathers will go. I mean, how many and other moms? I could moms, be pleasantly surprised. How many other moms really show up at all in in the Marvel Cinematic Universe? You get Hope Van Dyne, yeah, Maria up, or, Rambo, uh, um, not, not 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 Hope, uh, Janet Van Dyne, which kind of is a drive with the 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 friction between Hope and Hank. Yeah, it's basically the gist of Ant Man and the Wasp. Yep. Trying to rescue that, and of course, she seems like pretty chill. <laughs> Michelle Pfeiffer as as Janet Van Dyne seems decent. Well, mom. how else even would she um, act? huh? How else would she act? Yeah. But I mean, but time even, of the quantum realm. She was even, cool. Even Scott Lang's ex-wife is at least you know a protective and loving mom. Yes. You get. Um, Laura Barton. Yeah, yeah. It's true. But you don't get a ton of you don't get a ton of moms. So I mean, we we ran through a bunch. I'd a like lot. To think, we we ran through a lot. More than I thought we would. And I'd like to Honestly. think we did some of them justice. Maybe not all. A, <laughs> I but, honestly thought that this would go in a more negative route. But it was a very positive episode. Oh, we could I'm very negative route, you know. I'm, well, I'm happily, Futurama. I'm happily pleased with the way it, it turned out. Trust me. Agree. Like, oh man, I mean, I'll, I'll end on a happy note on an episode because, gosh darn, we all need that. <laughs> there are good mothers out there, everybody. Love you, mom. Love you too, mom. And on that note, everybody, you guys keep dreaming. We'll keep working. So long, folks. Our, our best wishes and love to all the great moms out there. And we'll see you on the high ground. The 
Those Sci-Fi Guys is an independent broadcast by Alphasite Productions, produced by DT Cavman and P.S. McKay. Music courtesy of Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. For more information on upcoming episodes, follow P.S. McKay on Twitter at P.S. McKay, or go to thosesci-fi-guys.com for past episode information. 